Well, you'd be looking for a doctrinally correct answer and a thorough answer, but I think more importantly than that, you'd be looking for adoration and wonder and love and a sense of depending on Jesus. Because I have to admit, you shouldn't presume that because someone's applying for a job as a minister, he's got all of those. Now, that's another reason for what we're doing tonight. Here's another reason. What do you appreciate about Jesus? I hope you can think of some things now. What do you appreciate about Jesus? I would have thought very high up. I appreciate his love. What love and what, what lengths he went to because he loved me. You might say his gentleness. Think of those despised people he mixed with and handled so gently and caringly. You might say his manly standing up to the hypocrites and not being afraid to tell them the truth. But what about his holiness? Does that feature in your list of things that you appreciate about Jesus? You appreciate his holiness. Well, there's another reason for what we're thinking about tonight. So I want us simply to meditate on Jesus and to use for that this verse, Hebrews 7, verse 26. Would you have a look at Hebrews 7, verse 26? If you've got a church Bible in the English, it's page 1257. And in the Chinese, it's the second part, page 389. Hebrews 7, verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need... One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Now, here we have phrases piled on top of each other, all reinforcing Jesus is perfect. They're all saying basically the same thing, Jesus is perfect. But they're all looking at his perfection from different angles. Let's have a try at that now. Let's take the first one. It says... Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy. Here the emphasis is on his perfection in relation to God. What is holiness? At its root, it is devotion to God. Jesus was every moment devoted to God. As he worked for year after year after year as a carpenter, obscure and unnoticed, it wasn't just to earn money for himself, it was to serve God. You don't have to work for a church or be a missionary, you can be a carpenter devoted to God and working every moment to serve him. As he then became famous and he spoke to crowds, it wasn't to pamper his pride, it was to honour God. As he walked the streets, his concern always was how to please God. At every moment, it was all about his father. It was all utterly devoted to him. Now, to us, this continual, single-minded, utterly focused devotion to God might sound exhausting. We might think, can't I just have a moment's me time? Can't I have a little break from devotion to God and just a bit of time for self? But not to him. To him it was nourishing, not exhausting. Do you remember his disciples finding, uh, surprised to find him there talking about God to a woman that he'd not met before? He said, but my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. 
devotion was his delight because of the love there was between him and his father. Holy. Let's look at the next word. It's his perfection again, but looking from a slightly different angle. Blameless. Blameless is putting the emphasis on perfection in relation to men. Now, today, if you're famous, you can be sure that someone will be trawling through your social media, won't they? And everything that you've said in the past that that there's a record of, they'll be trawling through it to find, hopefully, you've said something bad. Hopefully, there's something that can go in the tabloids or in the media to be used against you. Even if you said it when when you were just a 20-year-old, I'm glad I'm not famous. Have you seen the way they treat these people? They find something they said when they were 18 and there's no forgiveness. With glee, they grab it. But no one has been searched out. No one has been picked apart with more hostility than Jesus was. And yet they couldn't pin anything on him. Think of how many words he spoke. Think of how many times he spoke under pressure. And yet they couldn't find any words where they could say, look, that was bitter. Look, that was unkind. That was grumbling. Now, that wasn't really true, was it? Never could they find that. So they had to dredge up false witnesses when they put him on trial. His life was put under the microscope and not a a speck of blame could be found. Not a speck. Blameless. Here's the next word in our verse. Pure. Pure. Here the emphasis, the focus is slightly different again. It's his perfection in relation to himself and the witness of his conscience. Now, we have just remembered the life of Jesus was far from peaceful. It was under attack. But internally, what peace? Can you imagine never having anything trouble your conscience? Can you imagine never having a feeling of guilt? Can you imagine never having a thought and then thinking, oh, I'm glad no one, I'm I'm hoping no one around here is a mind reader? Can you imagine that? I I think I can answer for you, can't I? No. (laughs) We can't, we cannot imagine that. That was Jesus. What peace in the storm of all these people around him attacking him. So no wonder it says next in our verse, set apart from sinners. It doesn't mean here now he's up in heaven at a distance from sinners. Hebrews has this theme of how close he is to us. No, it's meaning he's in a different league from us. He is morally so far apart from us. He was plunged right in amongst sinners, rubbing shoulders every day with them but never tainted, never stained. No sin ever rubbed off on him or led him into the slightest fault. He's nothing like on a level with us, and yet so close. Now, as I said at the beginning, uh, the reason we're in this verse is I thought we should simply spend time meditating on Jesus and how wonderful our high priest is. The only priest we need. But in the Bible, 
You never find meditating on Jesus just so we feel cleverer because we know more, or even just so that we feel moved, which we ought to. There's always a purpose beyond that. And let's move on to that now. The purpose here is this. We need him to be that holy. It's a necessity for us that he is like that. So, verse 26 says that, doesn't it? Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. How does him being holy meet our need? Well, the next verse tells you. As usual, tell from the context. Next verse, verse 27. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. It's saying his sacrifice could be for our sin because he didn't have any sin of his own that needed cleansing. He didn't have to pay for any of his own sin and therefore he could pay fully for ours. So, Imagine Jesus as a boy playing in the streets of Nazareth. And surely this would have happened at some point. Some other boys come along and wind him up. Can't they be so cruel to each other? What happens if Jesus loses his temper? He's sinned. He's failed. Now he's grown up and he's 30 and he's speaking to the crowd And he's become famous. And people follow him. And they hang on his words. And what happens if it puffs up his head? And he feels proud about it. He's sinned. He's failed. Now he's 33. And he's hanging on the cross. And the religious leaders throw at him. You're the son of God, are you? God delights in you. Well, obviously not. What happens if thoughts of bitterness fill his mind? After all that perfect life he's lived. Well, he's sinned. And he's failed. And if he sinned once, well, he couldn't take the punishment for our sin. He couldn't be the sacrifice for your sin. What then could you do to stop yourself going to hell? Have a think. Any ideas? What could you do? Nothing. Every day would be a day closer to unending hell. What could you do to stop that? Nothing. Be intimidated by how totally you depend on Jesus being holy. How utterly you depend on him never tripping up once. Being holy, blameless, pure. We need that holiness in him. But there's another way we need it. Verse 26, as well as looking forward to verse 27, is looking back to verse 25. Let's have a look back to the verse before. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure. Do you see, it links with the verse before. It's looking back and saying, 
We need Jesus to be holy so he can represent us, so he can speak for us. Now, a few weeks ago, my family had a treat on holiday. We met a man at church called Ed, at church in Exeter, and he said to us, ah, the place you must go to on holiday is Pennywell Farm. Great place to go to, bit expensive though. But he said, I know the owner, and I'll speak to the owner, and I reckon I can get you some free tickets. And he did. He spoke to the owner, and we turned up, and there were free tickets waiting for us, and we had a great day there. You see, because of Ed's word, he must have had a good relationship with this owner because he got free tickets for complete strangers. It's great to have someone in a position to speak up for you and get you in somewhere. Well, verse 25 says, Jesus is speaking up for us. Is he in a position to do so? Is God likely to take any notice of him? Yes, because he's holy, blameless, pure and separate from sinners. And so God is well pleased with him and loves to listen to him. James, in the next letter after Hebrews, he has something to say about what sort of prayers work. Do you remember? He says, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And Hebrews is telling us Above all, Jesus is that righteous man. And so his prayers are powerful and effective for us. So he'll make sure we have all we need. All we need for what? Look at verse 25. If you've got a Bible in front of you. All we need for what? What does verse 25 say? All we need to be saved completely. Completely. So if you belong to Jesus, if he is your high priest, he is going to make sure you are saved completely. He's going to make sure you have all you need to be saved completely. He's not going to let you fall because you didn't have the strength to keep going. He knows you haven't got the strength in yourself. He's not going to let you limp into heaven and get a third class room on a lower level than Elijah or Paul. He's going to make sure you're saved completely. He's the man who is holy, blameless, pure, in a different league from sinners, and he's going to make sure you get into heaven with him and are made like him, saved completely. Why do we need Jesus to be holy? Because otherwise he couldn't sacrifice for us, be intimidated. Because otherwise he couldn't represent us, so be confident. But then, thirdly, because he can be our anchor. Now, what on earth do I mean by Jesus can be our anchor? Well, let's have a look at verse 26 again. Because Jesus is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, he is exalted above the heavens. Because of his holiness, he's now able to sit in heaven. Do you know Psalm 24? It says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And what answer does it give? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And here's the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So he can get into heaven and he can stay there. But he doesn't do it just for himself. He's secure there for his people also. 
Have a look back at chapter 6, verse 19. Can you see chapter 6, verse 19 and 20? We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary between, behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And I suggest that normally those verses don't make much sense to us because how can you have an anchor that goes ahead of you? What do you do with an anchor? It doesn't go ahead of you. You drop it off your boat, don't you? And down it goes and hits the seabed. But not in those days. Sailing was rather different in those days. And their sailing boats couldn't really manage to get into harbour by themselves. So a man would be sent off in a little rowing boat, but with a rope attached to the sailing boat. And he'd feed out the rope as he rows into harbour. And then he'd get into the harbour and he'd tie the rope to a rock on the harbour side so it's secure. And then once he's done that, either the people in the sailing boat pull themselves in or he can pull them in. He's gone ahead. He's been their anchor and he's securely in harbour. And because he's securely in harbour, as long as they're attached to him, they'll be securely in harbour, on their way into harbour. Is Jesus secure in heaven? Well, of course. He's holy, blameless, pure. No one's going to find a reason to throw him out. He's earned his place. So keep hold of him. He's the anchor. Are you keeping hold of him? Keep hold of him and you'll be pulled in. Whatever storms are pulling you this way or that, however much the waves are stronger than you, The rope is secure. So just keep holding on to him. Keep confident in him. And the good news is, keeping hold of him isn't by being strong enough. Keeping hold of him actually happens when you know your weakness. And so you rely on him, having made the anchor secure. And he's there, holy, blameless and pure, and set apart from sinners. Because he is... And I belong to him. Well, there isn't just a rope between us. There's his arm reaching out to me. And my arm is clinging on to him. And I'm going to be securely in. Keep holding on. Hebrews 7 verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens.